calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Merch for The Warning Woods is now available. Go to thewarningwoods.myshopify.com to purchase hats, shirts, phone cases, and more. I'll have a link in the show notes, as well as in my Instagram bio. Keep checking back from time to time, because I'll be adding new items every now and then. If you take any photos with your new merch, don't forget to tag at The Warning Woods on Instagram. Thank you. Welcome, friend. Follow me. We're going somewhere dark, somewhere dangerous. Most people would never dare enter the place we are going. There's no telling what horrors we'll find, what terrors we'll uncover. Don't say I didn't warn you. We might discover terrible monsters lurking there. Be careful, they could follow you out. Or maybe they're already inside you. Are you afraid? Good. Now you are ready to enter the Warning Woods. Thanksgiving at Uncle Mike's always beat Christmas in my book. My parents and I used to drive out to Uncle Mike's cabin every year without fail. And every year, Uncle Mike took me and my cousin Scott out on his dirt bike trail. The tradition began when I turned 12. My birthday is just a few days before Thanksgiving, so Uncle Mike took me on that first ride as my birthday present. Scott was jealous, so he rode behind on the four-wheeler. Scott's a year older than me, but I've always been more mature. My parents once said Scott's parents, my Uncle Ryan and Aunt Laura, made him weak by being too protective. I don't think I was supposed to hear that, but I did, and I think it's probably true. Anyway, wow, I'm already getting off track. So, yeah, the tradition began after my 12th birthday and continued until the year I turned 17, which is the year I broke my legs and lost my voice. That's right. I wasn't always mute. I used to talk too much, probably, and sing. I actually considered trying stand-up comedy at one time, but I think my sense of humor got broken in the accident, too. I had just turned 17. Scott was 18, officially a voting member of society. The way a typical Thanksgiving went, we would arrive around the same time as Uncle Ryan, Aunt Laura, and Scott. We'd all talk, and by that I mean the adults would talk, for an hour or so, before Uncle Mike would stretch out his arms, give his spine a good twist, and say something like, 
You know what, boys? I think I've been cooped up in here too long. You want to get out there? Then Scott and I would act like we hadn't been thinking about riding for the past hour and casually agree to go with him. But I knew as soon as Uncle Mike opened the door for us that that year was going to be different. Why? Well, because his right arm was pinned to his belly in a navy blue sling. I'm not sure how much you know about riding dirt bikes, but it's not happening with only one arm, especially on Uncle Mike's trail. What's going on there? My dad asked, pointing at Uncle Mike's sling. Oh, this? Uncle Mike flapped his pinned arm like a chicken wing. I had a little mishap unloading the boat. Cracked the radius, but thankfully not the ulna. I should be back in action in a couple weeks. Glad it wasn't worse, my mom said as she hugged him awkwardly, avoiding the sling. Sorry, I don't think I'm going to be too much help in the kitchen, Uncle Mike said, smirking. Are you ever? Dad laughed. He punched Uncle Mike lightly just above the sling. Uncle Mike winced prematurely as Dad's fist impacted his bicep, but then he smiled and laughed. He said, Come on in, Laura and the gang are already here. My parents went in while Uncle Mike held the door. When it was my turn to enter, he raised a boot in my way. I stopped and looked at him. His face was the purest expression of apology I think I've seen to this day. He said, Hey bud, I'm sorry. The single men's dirt bike club is going to have to postpone this year's annual ride. Huh? I pretended riding dirt bikes hadn't even crossed my mind. Oh, right. That's okay. Uncle Mike clamped his good hand down on my shoulder. If you've never experienced a real clap on the shoulder, it can communicate a lot. In this case, Uncle Mike's open hand said, Stop. And, I see right through you, kid. And, it's okay to be disappointed. Aloud, Uncle Mike said, I'm disappointed too. And I'll be damned if I didn't almost cry like a child. Uncle Mike was a cool guy. Perpetually single, he had moved out of town to live year-round in that cabin, fairly isolated from the world. He didn't even have internet. He worked as a hunting guide, and in his spare time he fished, hunted, and did other outdoor activities, hence the dirt bikes and four-wheeler. He also had a fishing boat, kayaks, the best mountain bike I've ever seen, and the sort of grill you might see at a state fair. He was, as my dad often put it, a man's man. I absolutely believed not getting to ride with me and my cousin disappointed Uncle Mike, and the fact that a guy like him, a man with so much adventure and low-grade excitement in his life, would be sad to miss out on a short ride with me, made me feel, and I know this sounds corny, special. I helped bring in all the food from our truck and Scott's family's car, but after that, Scott and I just sort of hung around doing nothing. We didn't have much in common, so we barely even spoke to one another. I asked him the usual questions about school, work, and girls. He wasn't into sports or video games, so I didn't have much else to ask about. To be fair, Scott's a big music guy, and I'm sure I let him down in that department. He asked who my favorite bands were and looked pretty lost when I answered Drake and Post Malone. I could see the dirt bikes through the window the whole time I sat across from Scott in Uncle Mike's living room. They were leaned against the shed out back, staring at me. The dirt packed into the tires looked crusty and old, begging to be shed and replaced. I decided to ask for something I never had before. A chance to do something I never had before. Something I never expected to be allowed to do, but still had to ask 
so I wouldn't regret not asking later. I asked if Scott and I could take the trail on our own. I'm sure you can imagine the chaotic conversation that followed. Mom would not have it at first. Dad stayed neutral between her and Uncle Mike, who shrugged and said he was fine with it. My aunt and uncle firmly forbid Scott from going anywhere near the motorized vehicles. They had only just barely allowed him to do it in the past with Uncle Mike's supervision. The enormous meal to be prepared already had Mom flustered, so eventually she gave in to the pressure from me and the mournful pity from Uncle Mike. I promised to stick to the trail and be back in an hour. Exhilaration. It's a word I learned in American Lit that fall, but didn't fully appreciate until it became the only descriptor for what I felt alone on that trail with 150 cc's between my knees. To call the area around Uncle Mike's cabin hilly would be like calling LeBron James a pretty good basketball player. The surrounding terrain bordered on mountainous, with sharp declines and steep climbs up to sheer cliffside paths. I could look down on one side of the trail and see the pointed tops of pines below, then look to the other side and see spindly trunks. Good son and nephew that I was, I kept my helmet on, but I wanted nothing more than to rip it off and let that refrigerated high-altitude air rip through my hair. I passed by a cliff, barely fitting without my handlebars knocking against the rock. I remembered that particular section because the four-wheeler almost hadn't been able to fit the previous year. More of the hill must have eroded away, because now there was no chance in hell that bulky thing could have stayed on the trail. Scott would have tumbled down into the trees for sure. With heavy sadness, I realized the previous year had probably been our last ride together. Regardless of what the trail looked like next year, Scott would probably be in college or working and maybe wouldn't come to the cabin at all. I would probably see less and less of him over the coming years, I thought. And correctly, I should add. Scott would go on to find great success in programming, but the only family he would make time for would be his parents. As I neared the halfway point, the trail became even more treacherous. I had to ride around a cluster of trees that had all fallen on each other and almost didn't relocate the trail afterwards. Without that trail, I'm not sure I could have found my way back. Many sections were eroded and brushed over like that. I had to ride slowly just to make sure I was on course. I guess without Uncle Mike riding back there, the woods reclaimed their territory pretty quickly. I finally reached the most interesting section of the trail, and I'm putting interesting in quotes. Essentially, the trail rides the spine of a long, downwardly sloped hill. On one side, the hill slides gradually into dense pine woods. On the other, it drops 50 feet straight down into the trees. The stone face of the cliff actually dips slightly inward, so it feels like you're hovering when you look over the edge. To me, riding that section always felt like flying. Again, Scott's four-wheeler would barely be able to fit on this section in past years, and he definitely would not have fit that year. Erosion had taken an enormous bite out of the cliffside of the trail. The trail below me was barely wider than my skinny tires now. I had to ride the brakes or coast. If I got going too fast, I knew I'd go over one side or the other. If I'd been able to pick, I would have chosen the right side with the gradual decline. But of course, that's not how life works. 
Unfortunately, we've reached the part of the story where things are a little fuzzy for me. I definitely remember something coming into my vision from above. I've tried to remember what it was so many times and come up with so many different versions that there's no way I'll ever be sure if the real memory surfaces. But I think it's safe to say it was a hawk or an eagle, maybe a crow. Whatever it was, it was big and dark and caused me to jerk to the left. Yes, the left. The side which dropped straight down. I've been spared the memory of falling 50 plus feet into the pines. Sometimes when I'm feeling brave, I search my mind to see if the sensation is hiding under all the scar tissue in my brain, but I think it's truly gone forever. Sometimes if I'm in a hotel room on an upper floor, I'll get a feeling of vertigo when I look out the window. I wonder if that's a subconscious memory of dropping so suddenly and so fast. I didn't even know I fell until I woke up an hour later freezing cold, pinned under the bike, and unable to make a sound. The trees which broke my fall and saved my life took my voice as payment. Like I said, I don't remember the details, but what everyone speculates is that I clutched the handlebars for dear life and stayed on top of the bike as it crashed through the treetops. The bike acted like a shield at first, but then got overturned before hitting the ground. My helmet got pulled off somewhere in the cluster of interwoven branches. When that happened, I hit the back of my head on a branch. Somehow I still held onto the bike, which is why it landed on top of me. After I woke up, every beat of my heart sent shocking pain through my head. Each individual heartbeat felt like a migraine. When I put my palms to my temples and depressed, it alleviated some of the pain, enough to think. I mostly tried not to panic. I was alone, 50 or more feet below the trail, hidden beneath dense pines, and my cell phone was pinned under my leg, which was pinned under the bike. Lifting the bike meant using my hands, which meant letting go of my panging head. Every move I could make led to excruciating pain and little to no reward. I did get to my phone after a bit. Fortunately, it had been in my right pocket. My right leg could move, although I would later learn it had been broken in two places. My left leg also had multiple breaks, but the real issue with that one was that the gear shift lever had pierced my calf. And if it makes you queasy to hear that, imagine unexpectedly seeing it. I couldn't feel that leg, so I had no idea it had been impaled until I pushed the bike up and saw blood spurt out of my jeans. That was also the moment I realized my voice box didn't work, because I screamed and nothing came out. Setting the bike down, I tried yelling. I tried whispering. I cried without trying, and that made no sound either. I put my hands on my throat to feel what was wrong. I mean, I had just seen my own leg pierced by a lever. That image was fresh in my mind as I wondered what was wrong with my voice. But I found no obvious damage, thankfully. Nothing was sticking out of my throat. My hands didn't come away with any blood on them. I wouldn't know this until later, but I lost my voice to the head trauma experienced during the fall. So, I couldn't yell for help, I couldn't move, and when I checked my phone, I found I couldn't use it either. Those hills had spotty service at best, and I happened to land in a dead zone. So yeah, I was alone in untouched wilderness. The pines had all grown most of their spiny branches up high, 
so I was surrounded by miles and miles of bare, grayish-brown trunks. They looked like hundreds of legs or stilts. The canopy kept most of the sunlight out, so I didn't even have its yellow warmth for comfort. I didn't think about the possibility of other living creatures being out there with me until I heard an abrupt swishing in a tree behind me. I tried to turn, but couldn't quite see that direction. I told myself it was a squirrel or a bird which had disturbed the trees, while in the back of my mind picturing bobcats, bears, and mountain lions. I didn't know if any of those animals actually occupied that forest, but it sure looked like the sort of place they would live. And hunt. And wouldn't I be easy prey? I couldn't even scream if some predator found me. It would probably think I was the most willing meal it ever ate. The swishing repeated, closer this time. It continued, sounding like something jumping from one tree to another. It navigated toward me, but angled slightly to my left. Eventually, the sounds arrived in front of me. I saw jostling branches jerking left and right, which was strange because I thought they would be bouncing up and down beneath an animal's weight. They were waving the way they might if a strong wind blew through them, but I felt not even a breeze. The strange movement progressed around me in a semicircle, at one point affecting the trees within five feet of me. No matter how hard I tried, I couldn't make out even a flash of fur within the rustling branches. The movement circled back behind me. On its second pass around, it seemed to be spiraling closer to me. All I could do was listen and try to follow, to be ready when whatever was stalking me finally struck. It wrapped around in front of me again, and then stopped. The branches went still, and silence returned. I did my best to keep my breath steady and quiet so I could listen for any sounds which might give away the creature hiding in the trees. I heard a crunchy thud on the ground directly across from me. It sounded like a large, invisible animal had landed hard in the dry pine needles carpeting the forest floor. In my already feverish mental condition, I thought I was going crazy. I felt a pressure beneath my paralyzed voice box. Something within me wanted to call out, to ask who was there, to shout for help. Maybe I knew it wasn't an animal out there with me. The trees all swayed to the left. I still felt no breeze. Something in the air changed, though. I smelled a floral aroma which mixed deliciously with the scent of pine. The aroma acted like nitrous oxide, or laughing gas as it's commonly known, alleviating much of my pain. Then, coming from somewhere to my right, from the direction of the intangible wind, I heard a voice. It played through the trees, high and fluty. The note could have been a song or a battle cry. It was fierce, yet angelic, and very powerful, yet so faint. That's when I asked myself the inevitable question, am I dying? The heavenly aroma, the song of an angel, they felt like preambles to my appearance at the pearly gates. Blurry shapes started to coalesce at the edges of my vision, brown and green like moss-coated deadwood. Their amorphous edges were hazy and they moved with distorted exaggeration. The foggy vision reminded me of looking through a glass coke bottle while playing pirates with my friends. Friends I still saw from time to time at school, but never thought twice about it anymore. 
We had good times together, me and those friends. We learned the lessons that would form the people we would become. And then we just fell out of each other's lives. I'm not just wandering in thought here. This is really where my mind went while I laid, pinned on the ground with abstract forms moving all around me. I blame that sweet, floral aroma. I didn't feel afraid until something cast a long shadow over me from behind. Suddenly, those formless shapes reminded me less of childhood friends and more of encroaching wolves. The fear triggered adrenaline, which cleared and focused my vision. With relief, I saw there were no creatures or figures moving around me, but that long shadow remained. I tried to look backward, but my neck refused. My head may as well have been attached with a popsicle stick. At least it was still attached. A distant voice whistled through the trees again. This time, I was pretty sure it spoke in words. Two words, I believe, but in a language entirely foreign to my ear. Although the voice itself was still high and fluty, the words were mostly guttural grunts and staccato squeals. They were not, by any stretch, unlike animal calls. And they were coming from somewhere behind me, in the direction of the shadow. I was now trembling from cold and terror. I could not tell which shivers belonged to which feeling. Rational thought had abandoned me, laying under that bike. I smelled like blood and fear, which I imagined was an irresistible perfume to the forest's predators. If I thought about anything, it was them. With a sound like a marching bass drum, the shadow vanished. Something ripped upward through the trees behind me, snapping branches and showering me with fresh needles. I was able to see the tree closest to me rocking in reaction to the sudden burst, then steady, and all was still again. Under the shower of pine needles, I covered my face with my arms. That's sort of funny to me now, looking back. Of all the agonizing pain I felt from my life-altering injuries, it's ironic to me that I worried about pine needles falling on my skin. When I dropped my hands, too tired to hold them up for long, I saw a tall figure standing in the distance. You could have drawn a straight line from me through the trees to the person who had appeared. At least, it looked like a person. No more ambiguous shapes or sourceless shadows. This was a clear figure with a hooded head, narrow shoulders, and a flowing robe made of animal hide. My memory is hazy again here. It should be crystal clear, because all of my senses turned up at the figure's appearance. When I try to recall exact details, it's like my mind is blocked, though. As soon as I noticed the figure, the trees all began to rustle and whisper again. I heard multiple voices among the branches this time. The trees swayed away from the shrouded person. I tried screaming again, testing my voice, hoping it had returned. It had not. A chorus of soft drums now joined the voices surrounding me. They sounded like echoes from miles away, yet I could feel their faint pounding in my chest. They synced up with my rapid heartbeat, which I realized had grown very weak. My heart felt like it was made of paper. I wondered how much blood had spilled out of my leg and realized the soil around my legs felt muddy. 
Again, my thoughts turned toward heaven. I wondered if I would even know if I had died. Would I feel my spirit separate from my body? Would I look down on my unfortunate self, like all those accounts of people dying on operating tables? The feverish drums slowed to a steadier tempo, and I, paying close attention to my heart now, felt it even out with them. First, the drums had matched my heart. Now the rolls seemed to flip, with the drums leading my pulse toward a stronger, healthier rhythm. Through the trees, I saw the figure raise its arms into the air. The drums grew louder. The faint voices around me chanted along in whispers. I know what you're thinking. I had hit my head and was losing a lot of blood. No wonder I was seeing and hearing things, right? It was temporary insanity. It was my fear manifesting in visions. And maybe you're right, but I can tell you that I was certainly on the verge of death, and whatever found me out there in the forest brought me back. In an instant, the drums and voices faded, and with them went the figure. I blinked and it was gone. The trees went still, and all that remained was the sweet floral aroma. That's when I heard my dad's strong voice calling my name. Knowing there was no chance anyone would see me through the trees and being unable to call out, I had to be creative. Luckily, my uncle's dirt bikes had electric starters. I might not be here to tell this story if a Kickstarter was all I had to work with. Re-energized, I raised the bike enough to get the engine off of my smashed legs and pressed the starter. The engine growled to life, and I revved it hard. I heard excited voices above me only just audible above the gurgling roar of the engine. I revved the bike once more before it died, but that was enough. Uncle Mike got to me first. It took him 30 minutes to find a way down with his broken arm. Fortunately, he'd had the forethought to bring a backpack full of first aid equipment with him. He quickly strapped a tourniquet around my thigh, which honestly might have been the most painful part of the whole experience. It stopped most of the bleeding so he could extract the clutch from my pierced calf. He packed the wound with quick clock gauze. By the time he finished, my parents had made it to us. The three of them carried me to a more open area to await search and rescue. I wish I could share more about that part of the experience, but as soon as my life was in someone else's hands, my mind went blank. I spent a lot of time during my recovery researching the weird stuff that happened to me out there. It turns out, I'm not the only person who, while hopeless and isolated in the forest, experienced a spiritual intervention. Whether you believe it was an angel, a ghost, or an elemental spirit, something not only watched over me out there, but literally kept me alive. Although I was afraid of it at the time, I know I can't deny that it saved my life. I think Uncle Mike might have known it was out there. I don't think he knew about it when I had my accident, but I think he discovered it at some point. He said something to me after the meal one Thanksgiving. We were talking about my future, and I asked him how long he thought he could manage to live alone in the woods. After some banter back and forth, he said, I guess as long as the woods will have me, and as long as they continue to keep me safe. I could be reading into it, but you tell me how many outdoorsmen you know who rely on the woods to keep them safe. Uncle Mike passed away just weeks ago from a chronic illness he kept from the rest of us. 
It turns out he had some kind of degenerative bone disease. His doctor told us, after Uncle Mike's funeral, that he could never understand how Uncle Mike managed to maintain his lifestyle after the degeneration accelerated. He broke his arm once, the doctor said. It shouldn't have ever healed, ever. But I took that cast off three weeks after I put it on. Mike was made of something else. This Thanksgiving will be strange without Uncle Mike or his cabin. My parents are hosting. Aunt Laura and Uncle Ryan will be there. And there's a small chance Scott might even make it too. I'm thankful to still have them. Nobody hears me as well as they do, even without my voice. You made it out. Congratulations. If you enjoyed the story, please rate and review this podcast wherever you like to listen. Reviews are the best way to support the podcast and help it grow. If you want more creepy content, follow me on Instagram at The Warning Woods. If you feel ready, meet me here next week for another journey into The Warning Woods. Thank you for listening. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.